All right, welcome to uh, Legal Tech Week, our weekly journalists roundtable where we hash out the top stories or most interesting stories in legal tech and, and beyond that as well. Uh, I'm Bob Ambrogi. I write the blog Law Sites and have the podcast Law Next. And our panelists this week are usual familiar faces, except for Molly McDonough is away, uh, <laughs> is away this week. But uh, let's introduce ourselves real quick. Caroline, you want to start? Hey there, Caroline Hill, Editor-in-Chief of Legal IT Insider, Global Legal Tech Publication. We're based in the UK and increasingly on-screen interviewer, <laughs> webinar, all, th <laughs> all things live interview. Yeah, <laughs> so it, so can, it seems. We can talk about that a little bit more. But uh, And uh, Zach. Hey there, everybody. My name is Zach Warren. I'm the Editor-in-Chief of ALM's Legal Tech News. Um, also see me in a bunch of other ALM publications like the American Lawyer, Corporate Counsel, Law.com, etc. All right. Victoria Hudgens. Hey guys, my name is Victoria Hutchins. I'm a reporter also at ALM where I write for the Legal Tech News about the intersection of technology and the law. And Victor Lee. Hi everyone, my name is Victor Lee. I am the Assistant Managing Editor for the APA Journal. I handle the Business of Law section which also encompasses technology. And my usual disclaimer, that I do not speak for the APA or the APA Journal and today I do not speak for uh, AT&T in case my <laughs> internet goes out. <laughs> or Major League Baseball, you're not. Oh, I uh, definitely don't speak for them. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Joe? Yeah, uh, Joe Patrice uh, from Above the Law and the podcast Thinking Like a Lawyer and the ATL special COVID cast podcast too. And you know, that stuff like that. <laughs> okay. I got yeah. nothing else. <laughs> That's funny. And Nikki. I am Nikki Black the legal technology evangelist with my case law practice management software. I'm a legal tech columnist and speaker. I write a monthly column for ABA journal, bi-weekly column for above the law, weekly for the my case blog and weekly for the daily record among other outlets. So, um, we always exchange uh, some emails in advance of the show every week uh, discussing what we want to talk about and some of the topics that have interested us. And I've had such a crazy day today that I'm just looking at these emails now. Uh, so uh, I wish I could say I was better organized today. But, but one thing I think we can all agree uh, on uh, as, a, as a topic of some interest is not something that happened this week, but something that's about to happen next week, which is the ILTA conference, because uh, that is... You know, I, I mean, it's, it's, I've always thought of it as the largest or certainly one of the largest legal technology conferences in the world. Uh, it, it's always quite a production in, in real time and in, in the real world when it happens. Uh, and uh, so it's moving virtual next week. Uh, and uh, we had a little bit, it was a little bit of a press briefing earlier this week where they gave us a little bit of an overview, but I mean, it's, it's, it's a pretty ambitious schedule they put together. Uh, and I mean, they've got a, a, a basically 24 seven schedule over the next week. Although a lot of that is kind of pre-recorded or, or replays of, of recorded sessions and other kinds of things. Uh, and they're really trying to appeal to a, a, a worldwide audience. Um, I, Caroline and I are going to have a, a special perspective on this because we are actually going to be, 
co-anchoring, I guess is the word. I'm using the word anchoring. I don't know if anybody else has been using the word anchoring, but, but uh, Latera TV uh, is going to be producing um, essentially uh, live coverage. Like, like think, uh, think this is the Olympics and, and, and we're uh, going to be sitting there with our uh, uh, Olympics uh, ABC News blazers or something, uh, kind of trying to interview different people over the course of the week. So Caroline's going to be doing the for me, the morning shift, for her, not the morning shift, and, and then I'll be doing the, the afternoon shift. So, for a 24 uh, 7 conference. Yeah. So, for a 24 yeah. Well, yeah. Well, good job. Yeah. No, well, I mean, most of the programming <laughs> is daytime, central time. So, yeah. okay. Uh, most of the, from, the, the I'm on from four to seven BST and Bob Buell three hours after each day on it. And um, I like to think, yeah, I've been telling everyone I'm an anchor because that sounds cool. But, and then uh, a bit more like anchor man, you know, the movie. So, <laughs> So are you saying that so you saying that Latera TV after dark is still available cuz I have a resume if anybody wants I get like the overnight shift. <laughs> I can do sport, I can do the sports update for you guys. Now. Yeah. Oh my god. Do you know what we, we should just shift this call panel, on Bob. You. We yeah, may we, get, we may genuinely quite <laughs> honestly call on you. Uh-oh. Uh-oh, Avanish is on the call. He says he can make that happen. <laughs> uh, all right. Well, it's probably going to be like, well, 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 I don't know if they're going to do still to like the, because like most conferences do like a 10K race or something or like so like a 5K race or something or like a 5K run like on one of the days. So, you know, you, you guys could do, you guys do live commentary for that. Like, oh, you know, so-and-so yeah. sprints out to the lead and then blah, blah, right. blah. Yeah, I think yeah. I think that I think the, I think the idea is that we're going to do so we're being a sensible person so we we're going to pick out we're doing commentary and analysis from the day and the, and the idea um, is quite a um, was a good one um, and one that I share which is that we need to obviously Ilta has had this huge struggle of not, not of their own <coughs> fault um, of having to adjust to this virtual conference we all love Ilta I, I love Ilta anyway going to the actual conference and half of it is the interaction um, and this year they've really struggled with how to recreate the stuff that makes people want to turn up you know and actually makes people want to to, you know, listen to the session. So, we're um, Latera TV are doing this thing to try and make it inter interactive. You know, we're going to hopefully be chatting to people from who have spoken during the day, or just bringing our own reflection on on their sessions. And um, and and genuinely, I think this panel is fairly portable. I think at some point we should definitely like to shift it when we need to keep your mobiles on. But um, That's right. I think, but I think, <laughs> but, too, I, yeah. <laughs> but I think it's a. You know, if you don't mind me being serious for one second, just I'm boring. But um, we kind of do mind that. We're yeah, I know. <laughs> I'm just going to do it anyway with with a beer because that dilutes the boring. <laughs> um, so I think that we just need to support Ilta, and I think it's a serious point. You know that we need to get you know persuade law firms and vendors. You know, it's the as far as I'm concerned, association. There's Clock, but Clock hasn't. I don't think you know it's not as widely representative and I think Ilta you know we need to support it or the vendors who have paid already a load of cash to make this thing work will not be doing it again potentially I mean I'm speaking very bluntly and Ilta probably wouldn't agree necessarily with 100% that sentiment but I think it's um you know I think it's a critical moment and we're trying to do our bit I think to try to help it fly that's the way yeah. I put it yeah I mean I think one thing that's interesting that they've done Again, I, I think we've talked before about in, in a, in a, about one of the problems with the virtual con conference is trying to recreate that social aspect to it, um, which you really lose. And, and, I, and I haven't seen anybody so far do a good job of recreating that. Um, you know, we talked, uh, what, a few weeks ago uh, about some of, some of Nikki's ideas about how to 
how to do that um, using avatars. Avatars, <laughs> yeah. Um, and uh, as far as I know, uh, Ilta is not using avatars, but they are using a couple of. They do have a couple of cool things, and and I don't know if. And I think Caroline, if I get it, your husband is involved possibly yeah. in one of the cool things. So, so, so I think we <laughs> we um yeah. So so um I like most married couples obviously don't talk to him an awful lot. <laughs> <laughs> don't don't ask me for an awful lot of detail. We we are working. Um, we try we tried said a while to go to Auto. We can help you to build a platform to try to connect CIOs and um, vendors. Um, and the ambition is to create this platform for next week, um, which I should know more about. Um, where we can do just that. The idea is that that we it's not good enough to just go to a virtual exhibition hall where you see the logo and you kind of go hey you know, and you know, have these like you actually need to make the uh, you need, cios need to make their time available to the vendors in real time during the conference and and we've, we're working on working on a platform still working on it to be honest with you to to um <laughs> to make it possible you're not supposed to tell us that part <laughs> it's really complicated but we you know um it will, they will be able to connect, um, and and I think it's I think it's about without banging on about it, but I think it's about that that mentality as well that CIOs need to do that. They need to make the time. They need to open up their diaries in real time, and they need to, you know, connect. And, and we're trying to create the plat. We're creating the platform to enable them to do that. Good. Um, yeah. One other thing they're doing is they're doing this thing called hallway hallway hang. I think I, if I have it right. Uh, which is sort of like chat roulette. <laughs> uh, if any, it's like this random, you're going to go into it and just be randomly connected with somebody else who's registered for the conference uh, for a virtual chat session. Um, so that's interesting. Hopefully not exactly like chat roulette. No. That could go either really well or really badly. Yeah, right. I, I don't know. Then what is that one from years ago? It's like chat roulette, but it had a different name. I think it started with an E. I think it's still around. But that, that's, yeah, it doesn't always go yeah, well. Yeah, they're, they're, they're not usually used for conference uh, no. socializing, but. Uh, you need to have some kind of something in common usually, don't you? Or, you know, like something that makes it a valuable use of your time and theirs. I think that's yeah. the key, isn't it? You know, you don't want to be spending just time yeah. with people just for the sake of time. We're all busy people, but if we can be, make it useful time, <laughs> right. that's the key. Yeah. So anybody else have uh, thoughts on ILTA or virtual conferences or? Uh... Yeah, I mean, the ABA just had its annual meeting uh, virtual. And I mean, we were all skeptical whether that was going to work, especially with the House delegates vote. It's just, you know, how do you, how do you manage something like that on such a grand scale? But, you know, in some ways it did work better. I mean, from a reporter's standpoint, it was nice having, you know, everything available immediately, being able to, because you don't have to worry about, oh, did I record? Do I record the session? Do I not record the session? What if I, what if I don't take the right notes? If I don't get the right, the right quotes or whatnot? So it's all there. You could just go back and check it immediately. So, so from a journalist standpoint, covering it, it was, it was, it was actually, it worked out better than we could have imagined. But, you know, obviously it does lose something like when, when it's just, you know, a bunch of, you know, basically Zoom presentations and, you know, you, you have to, you have to, um, you know, make of it what you will. But then again, you know, I also wonder if we, I mean, some of the, some of the people that we were able to get, I don't know if we would have been, if we would have been able to get them had, you know, had it been like a live conference. I mean, like Bill Gates spoke at, at one of the sessions, uh, Justice Breyer. So, I mean, maybe, maybe we still would have gotten Breyer, but I don't think Bill Gates would have shown, you know, would have shown up to, to the ABA annual meeting. I mean, that's. Right. <laughs> yeah. Well, I was, I got a press pass to the Connecticut bars um, avatar 
conference uh, in September. So I'll let you know how that goes. They're doing, I'm excited they're doing about the Avatar. Yeah. Well, that's the one you were talking about, yeah. Yeah, and I have a press pass to it. I'm super excited about it. I can't wait to have my little avatar and run around. And Can you share you know. your avatar when you've got it? Can we see what you, what you look like? I think. <laughs> Absolutely. I'm sure to look a lot younger and taller than I do, but you know. <laughs> um, <laughs> we'll see. Maybe even blonder. <laughs> yeah. I actually only went to one ABA annual meeting program and, and um, it was a very good program, but I was surprised. I, I didn't actually realize during the program that it was pre-recorded and then they got to the Q&A session at the end and then suddenly like everything stopped and it like froze up for a few minutes and then suddenly everybody came back and they were all wearing different clothes <laughs> and with different backgrounds. And I'm like, oh, <laughs> this was, I was just watching a recorded session and now they're live at the end of it. So that was kind of a, kind of an odd thing I thought, but it worked, it worked fine. It was, and I think they lost one of the presenters in, in the course of switching from, <laughs> from one to the other. But I'll be extremely interested, kind of getting back to Caroline's earlier point, though, what the legal tech vendor community's reaction to what actually happens next week is. Because the panels are great, very informative. I love going to them. Realistically, if I'm on the ground at ILTA, I'm probably going to one a day, maybe. I'm usually walking the exhibit hall, have predetermined meetings with people, just kind of getting the layout of the of the land and just kind of hearing what people are talking about as much as anything else. So especially, Bobby said earlier, this is one of the biggest legal tech shows. I think specifically for that, for me, kind of the way that Legal Week is a primer for the first half of the year, I've always viewed ILTSA as kind of the primer for the second half of the year. And I know me personally, I'm going to be losing a little bit by not even I'll be having a few of those conversations, but they'll be via Zoom and it won't be as impromptu. And I wonder from the other side whether that loss is going to be felt as well. So if I'm in the... Sorry, go. No, no, go, Nikki. I was going to say, I'm in the same boat as... I mean, that's why I didn't request a press pass this year, to be quite honest, because for me, that's really what this conference is about. And the other legal tech conferences next year, but I probably will go to those for different reasons or request press passes. But... I, it's, it's just hard for me to envision a virtual conference providing me with much of the things that I typically get from conferences as an, a press member of the press. But, uh, and I, you know, I'm, I've spoken with my colleagues at my case about a few of the virtual conferences that we have done, and it's definitely different, you know, and it's from the vendor's perspective, it's just a very different situation. And um, I, I'm not sure how anybody, ILT or anyone else, is going to solve that issue with providing value in a virtual setting for the vendors. It's a tough, tough it's tough. I mean, it's just. That's, that's what sparked. So I spoke to a vendor. One of, the, one of the things that sparked us trying to be involved and work with it was a vendor that we know very well who said you know, that, that they are feeling they're very, because obviously, I mean, I don't want to speak out of turn, but, um, you know, there's this very tricky situation. Obviously, they paid a lot of money. Um, and this is why I think people don't necessarily realize, you know, in terms of law firms and organizations, how much this is, this is really key for them now to work with the vendors. I can't stress enough that they need to make their time available. They need to, because otherwise, you know, I think that it, there'll be, you know, questionable return for the vendors and then what does that look like next year right so i think that they need you know this is kind of a call to action they need to make them their time available i think um and i know that's a real challenge with a virtual conference but um i think that you know people need to go kind of above and beyond what they would normally do personally 
Yeah. So well, some of you may be a, saying there's a question here, just not a question, but it's just a comment that's saying the primary issue, this is from anonymous attendee. The primary issue for vendors is that is in the way ILTA has set up the exhibit halls and it seems like the same will be for clock. Visitors have to seek you out to find you no more, no more stumbling upon a company. Uh, and this is a major exposure issue for lesser known vendors. Right. Lesser known vendors go to conferences to pick up those random walkway exposures. So. Yeah, well, I just want to clarify that I certainly am not re talking about ILTA's plans or any other particular um, uh, recent conference. And, and also, I'm really not even speaking on behalf of my case because it was a conversation very briefly in passing. So I haven't had any in-depth discussions about this. It's really more of my sense of how this, how it typically is when you're in a booth. Typically, I'm only there at tech show. But, you know, just what you'd mentioned, uh, this person mentioned about people stumbling upon, you know, a lot of it's just people wandering the exhibit halls in their free time. And you, I don't know how you wander an exhibit hall in a virtual setting, you know, yeah. it's just a difficult issue. Yeah. What about from the aspect of being a journalist uh, going to these things? Uh, you know, I, I go to conferences and I spend all day in the exhibit hall or in uh, suites or something getting demos of products uh, and, and often I'm just like standing at a booth where I really can't even very see the screen all that well or take notes. So now I'm getting, I've already started getting some, uh, you know, demos of products, but I'm getting them online on Zoom, uh, and which I much prefer a Zoom demo. Maybe they take more time to orchestrate and set up and everything, but, you know, I can take notes. I can, you know, record it if I want to or, you know, whatever. So do any of you have thoughts on, on that? I feel like it has some pluses and minuses because I definitely think you get more clarity into what a solution is. It's much cleaner. You're able to really dive in a little bit more than, like you said, just standing kind of in a corner and not really being able to sure, sure what you're seeing. On the flip side, I found that a lot of those are very streamlined. They have the points that they want to hit. It's less of a conversation where you're really able to interject your questions and kind of learn what they're thinking a little bit more about topics that maybe aren't that particular technology. So really kind of the give and take, at least for me. Yeah. Yeah. And they're, they're running around, I find a distraction, you know, I don't know if anybody else is quite as bad as manage, uh, managing their time during these conferences, but I always either, you know, usually overbook and then end up like Las Vegas a couple of years ago was the worst where I was running, literally running from one appointment to the next and late and hot and, you know, mm -hmm. so at least, at least this is easier to schedule in your, you know, and like you say, you know, your desk with your, just so, but but then it yeah I mean it loses that energy inevitably in that personal the, then I'm I'm starting to love you know and I think we're all getting, probably getting better at developing relationships over Zoom you know it feels much more natural to me now yeah there's so many conversations that occur after hours though that are so fascinating to get a sense of what's happening in the industry you know someone someone else told me at the last conference um, somebody who's the head of a legal tech company that. You know, it's hard staying up late, you know, as we get older, but that's where some of the best deals happen is, you know, at 11, 11.30 over a couple of drinks. And the, it's just, there's a synergy there that I think is difficult to recreate online. You can't. There's, there's <laughs> no recreating that. I think, I mean, that's the greatest loss in, in all of these conferences. And hopefully we get back to uh, the, uh, the before times at some point in terms of conferences. Did you see, I imagine... Sorry. Being next to other people. 
being next to other people and like within arm's length and having drinks and laughing at each other and just I just envision now whenever I laugh they're just like streams of germs emanating from me and like <laughs> did you I see- may never have a drink with you again no no man <laughs> did you see Avanish's comment to Joe about Natara TV he says Joe, yeah. Joe Joe you've got your <laughs> You've got your late night slot on to live territory. I know. I, I, that's, that was when I made the sound, uh-oh. I realized I that maybe, I love that. maybe my fan. joke went too far. <laughs> <laughs> no, I want this to happen. <laughs> vote, vote to make this happen. <laughs> yeah. um, so uh, maybe we should move on to some other topics here. Um, one, one uh, Victor, you raised this one. It wasn't your first pick, but it was something you mentioned that I think is kind of interesting is the Blackberry maybe is making a, going to make a comeback or what? The, the yeah, favorite I mean, device for years of lawyers. Yeah, well, that's the thing. It's like, like I, I know lawyers who love Blackberry and still love Blackberry and have been hoping Blackberry would make a comeback a la Crystal Clear Pepsi, although that didn't last. And, you know, I'm very disappointed about that because I'm like one of five people in America who loved Crystal Clear Pepsi. But, um, yeah, like I, I mean, I mean, and like my wife still loves her BlackBerry, like from many years ago. I mean, she obviously had to had to chuck it out once, it, you know, <laughs> once uh, once you know uh, they had the problems, and now she's 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 using her iPhone. But yeah, it's just I mean, I feel like BlackBerry has a certain loyalty and a certain uh, built-in like user base, and especially for lawyers, you know, because of the security and because of you know various other features that they've had that that, that they have, you know, they've they've always had that, they've always still maintained that kind of cult following even, even during the, during the bad times. So, I mean, who knows, maybe, maybe, maybe this will be something, maybe this won't be anything, but you know, them partnering, you know, with a startup to build a new, to build a 5G smartphone. I mean, it, it, it does, it would make it, it would be an interesting alternative to some of the other phones out there, especially for lawyers. Anybody going to switch to a BlackBerry? I mean, you know, part of their appeal used to be in the early days was, was, not just the keyboard, but the, the security. Um, yeah. And uh, I don't know if that is still, you know, the issue that it once was. Um, and I, I don't know what the appeal is otherwise. It seems like people are so wedded to whatever devices they're using these days, and most of them are using iPhones, that it's hard to imagine any uh, mass exodus to back to the, uh, back to the BlackBerry. I mean, just the idea that, like, sorry. No, but like, yeah, just the idea that that people would go back to a phone. Well, I mean, I don't know if they were designed it the same way, but like, just like if you look at the if you look at the most famous BlackBerry, you know, image like with the with the keys with the keys on the front that you could actually press and and whatnot. It's just yeah, yeah. now it just seems like such a quaint concept. Like, oh, who would buy a phone with 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 with, with actual keys when you could just touch it on the touch it on your screen? So, I, I, I mean, and, and, and then with the little wheel that you would like roll. I mean. You know, I kind of liked it when it first came out, but now it seems like such a such a such an antiquated concept. Like, well, why wouldn't you just scroll? Right. Yeah. I feel like it's one of those things. Nostalgia is great for a product that's maybe like twenty to thirty bucks. If you're shelling out for right. it, um, nostalgic can only get you so far. Yeah. I'm, I'm my, um, I chaired the tech committee at my local bar for three years. Um, I just had to give that up <laughs> um, to go to the board of trustees. But a lot of okay, there are two lawyers on it that are very tech savvy and. Um, one was like a former programmer and he stuck, you know, he clung to his BlackBerry until maybe about a year ago. Like he really liked it. He was constantly trying to work with it and keep it going because he just really liked it. And especially the security even now, and he finally switched in, to an Android, but 
uh, you know, there are some lawyers that still really, really like that, especially the ones that have some background in tech. So it's interesting. So, so this was kind of an off week for Joe because you actually wrote about some stuff other than the uh, law school admission test. Yeah, which I still wrote like six stories about that, but I also <laughs> wrote stuff about um, other topics. And one of the interesting ones that I wrote about this week, I thought was Kira Systems, uh, which does contract analysis uh, work, actually is doing kind of a pro bono effort on their own. They're uh, working with uh, Campaign Zero, which is a police reform movement uh, to break down and use kind of their AI-driven data analytics to look at different police union bargaining agreements uh, and to find language that they can then highlight to the press or whatever uh, that, you know, does things that are problematic. For instance, you know, these, these, uh, these union agreements tend to be where you find provisions that say, oh, you know, you can't talk to an officer who's accidentally shot somebody for quote unquote accidentally shot uh, uh, for like 72 hours or something right. like that. And those sorts of provisions are in there and utilizing, and there, and there's hundreds and hundreds of them around the country, right? But you can plug them into Kira and it will pop through and using its, its, day, its machine learning be able to say, this one here, this language, this is clearly a provision in Bumble wherever uh, that says this, uh, which is a good tool. And then they can now put that on their website. You can search individual cities and find out what your local place does without having somebody dig through everything by hand, but with the help of Kira. Uh, and so it's nice to see a kind of legal tech do the pro bono thing. Uh, we talk about lawyers need to do that all the time, but you know the tools that we create can do a lot of good out there. And so I thought it was interesting that uh, an interesting project. Yeah, I think that's really interesting. I mean, it's another example. We, um, I wrote about, and I think, I forget, I think somebody else uh, on this call wrote about it a, a while ago, a couple of weeks ago about um, how e-discovery e software is being used to search through COVID research, medical research literature to look for certain trends or patterns or kinds of information or whatever else. Um, uh, Maura Grossman, uh, 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 who is using, who's uh, developed a technology uh, uh, up at the University of, is it Waterloo? Is that where she is? I think uh, her, her platform is being used. Um, I think I wrote about it on Above the Law, as a matter of fact. Uh, her her platform is being used by medical research up there, and relativity's uh, technology is being used uh, by uh, some medical researchers uh, in the United States. So it's interesting when you see these legal technologies designed for legal spill over into into other uses. <clears throat> Any other insights or thoughts on that before we move on? We're seeing all the uh, Blackberries users coming out in the uh, in, in the chat here, They're, or at least spouses of Blackberry users. Nobody's admitting to it themselves directly. Um, My spouse uses it as well. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, Victoria, did you have anything this week? Yeah, I saw an interesting article 
article from my colleague at the Texas Lawyer about they did a survey of roughly like over 2,000 lawyers in uh, Texas. They found a lot of them said they didn't want to, um, they didn't want um, virtual jury trials for the matters. And they spoke to a, uh, to a judge in Texas who said she was quote unquote bummed about so many attorneys saying they didn't want to have a virtual jury trial. But she said it made the um, driving factor for that is that the lawyers may have clients who say they don't want virtual jury trials because they're not sure how um, they can keep, if they can keep the attention of jurors that are just zooming in during a trial and like making sure that you can make sure that you get your point across to them. So I thought it was kind of like interesting to see, like some people may say like, hey, we may see the use of virtual jury trials perhaps beyond COVID-19, but maybe civil matters or maybe to just put a less, a little bit less stress on the courts. And from this report and survey, it looks like attorneys do want to go back to normal and kind of like having the in-person voir dire and uh, trials. So something kind of yeah. interesting to note. I'm, I'm not surprised at all. I mean, so, so I reported, I think probably a few of us reported on the Florida so virtual yeah. hearing, um, which was a one day sort of test as it were like albeit that it went well and, and I think the judges were very complimentary to to everyone involved um actually in, yeah and they had actually in that case they had they had the sorry in that case they had the jurors in the trial didn't they they actually had the jurors in person in the court and then they had the evidence I'm, I'm stuff I'm getting it wrong so they had the jurors present but socially distant and then they had the evidence that's right isn't it so they would get evidence was virtual um, so it's kind of like a hybrid. And then and then there's been a case in New Zealand, um, which was picked up on Richard Siskin's um, platform that talks about virtual trials, which is really worth a read um, if anyone hasn't looked at it. But um, where they were talking about there was a, te- a long hearing where there was a lot. I think most of the evidence was virtual. But I mean, I, I can just understand <laughs> their concerns in terms of it's. We, we, without being derogatory, like it's a tough job being a juror and and focusing for le- any length of time. As we know, even when you're present in court, sometimes people get reprimanded. I can understand there's concerns. Um, and if given a choice, if you could do some kind of hybrid, which we've seen already in Florida, I think that would probably, I could understand why that would be preferable. Yeah, definitely. And I remember, I think it was in Texas, they said like some people were multitasking while they were sitting during the questionnaires. It's kind of like, okay, it's a little bit harder to play solitary when you're in person um, in the courtroom than if you're just um, doing jury duty from your living room couch. So I can see that. And it's kind of like also interesting, some people say to kind of like address like um, the workload on the courts and kind of like streamlining that it just kind of seems like at least for jury trials lawyers are kind of say hey no we're not going to do that so I'm always interested to see like of course like in the future what things from COVID-19 are kind of like going and using technology will the legal system continue to use because some of it could be useful and kind of like when you hear about the portals that are being put up so people um, can have access to kind of like access to justice issues and everything like that of course that should continue but it, of course like not everything it's not going to be a complete cease change in the legal industry and in terms of the evidence that's great right like that you've got yeah. people who can potentially who you know vulnerable can give evidence you know and, and in terms of access to justice it can has ramifications in terms of opening up you know different ways of people not having to drag them into court necessarily if they're giving evidence obviously they're very much on the spot so i think that hopefully we'll 
develop some kind of hybrid hopefully we'll pick the best yeah. of of the things that we've experiences and then <laughs> ditch <laughs> ditch the ones that haven't worked so well <laughs> i think there are positive um some lawyers are not uh are being a little negative and uh glass half empty about it there was just um an article today that sort of shows the positive side of um online trials for lawyers and i can't recall the outlet but i linked to it in one of our emails but it talked about how uh Defense counsel had made a motion in a, I think it was a PI case, um, to, I think for a mistrial, because the plaintiff's attorney during a break in the proceedings had a little bit of chit chat with the jurors. And it turns out that it was about one of the jurors' backgrounds. And all that the attorney said was, oh, how do you do that? And then the juror responded about the Zoom background. And, and the uh, defense counsel didn't take too kindly to that and wanted a mistrial because of that. But the judge said it was so inconsequential that it didn't matter. But how often do you get a chance to, ch I mean, I'm sure that's not going to become the norm, but it, it gets rid of some of those barriers that you would otherwise have in some ways. I think it might actually make lawyers seem more personable or approachable, even if you're not allowed to talk, you're never allowed to talk to jurors. But you know what I mean? It, it, they don't seem quite as removed and imposing as they are in the courtroom, I would think. Everyone's just a square on the screen. So I wonder if in some ways there's some benefits to that that lawyers aren't thinking about just because they like the way it's always been. But how do you assure quality? Like my concern would be, you know, about jurors aren't allowed to look up on the internet, for example. And when you've got, I know that at the end of his long trial, at the end of the day, there's nothing to stop. And a lot of it is based on trust. But, um, you know, my, I think, so I suppose, you know, yeah, I guess you, you, you have to do more trust, right? Like, so, so I guess there's more ability at home to be looking up. <laughs> information on the internet whilst you're sitting there you know I, I, I think there's going to be quality issues that they need to look at closely I was surprised they had it the chat set up on that the one Nikki you were talking about I just put the link up on that it was an ABA journal article but uh, how are the jurors uh, uh, and, and the plaintiff able to be chatting with each other would have think somebody would have uh, thought ahead to uh, make sure that couldn't happen but Uh, more horror stories from Zoom trials. But I mean, you know, despite the, the findings of this survey, um, they may might have to get used to it. Uh, it's, you know, it's, yeah. we, all, we all keep saying this is going on a lot longer than we think. That's been the main thing when we've done articles, we both had staff written and contributed pieces from lawyers that have actually done this. Uh, but it's never really we're pumped about this, we're excited, this is something new. It always seems like a little bit of resignation, like, all right, this is here, I guess if you gotta do it, here's how you're gonna do it. Um, and it, nobody, I guess, is as excited for the change as I thought that they might be, ultimately. Yeah. And who knows, a lot of it just might be just, you know, just the usual resistance to change in the legal profession in general, like, hey, this is how we always, we've always done it. This is how we were trained to do it. This is how, you know, what we saw on television growing up. This is what we went to law school for, you know, with trial ad and blah, 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 blah and moot court. And, you know, this is how, this is how we've gotten used to doing it. And anything that kind of deviates from that is going to be, you know, if not resisted, is going to be kind of like, well, you know, I'd rather prefer, I prefer we go back to things the way we are once, once the way, the way they were once, you know, things have calmed down. So, I mean, that could be part of it too. Just, just the whole, you know, just, just the attitude of like, well, this isn't this isn't how we how 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 we were trained to do it. This isn't how you know what you know what we wanted to do our lives. We wanted to be in court. We want to 
be front and center in front of a jury and giving arguments and, and anything that kind of takes away from that, it's going to be, you know, looked at suspiciously. Well, and that's one thing also is that the, I mean, trial lawyers, like the people who are really trial lawyers, not just litigators who occasionally go to trial, but like the real trial lawyers are those kind of people who have that overinflated sense of instinct, you know, like the baseball managers who don't look at statistics, but, you know, have a gut feeling about a guy like that. Those are, that's what trial lawyers are like. And I feel, I absolutely think they're the sort of folks who are like, you know, I, I can't get a feel for a jury, but I'm, when I'm in a room with them, I can connect. And it's like complete nonsense, but it's the thing that their whole mythos of their personality is based around. It's not nonsense though. When I was a public defender, <laughs> I did a lot of trials and you can just tell them the way someone looks at you. It's body language. It's, and you don't care what the, you don't care what the answers to the questions are. You want to get a sense of how they're looking at you, how they're responding. And that's how you can tell if they're going to listen to you. That's all you want is someone who's going to be receptive right. to what you're saying. And it's much harder to do over Zoom. So um, I would think, I mean, how do you assess body language? How can you tell what I could have my legs crossed right now, my arms, you know, crossed. And I, would, I, could, I t- could totally be resistant to what you're saying. And you wouldn't be able to tell. You could you know, really so, not even be in a room with those books. Right? That's <laughs> also a thing that I, could I be. might even be on my desk, but... <laughs> <laughs> I can even be a dog. It's like that old internet. You know, uh, what's that saying? You don't, uh, the internet. doesn't know you're a dog. Yeah. No one knows you're a dog. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but yeah. I mean, I, as much as I'm like, lawyers aren't looking on the bright side and I can't imagine doing a trial over Zoom. But I don't no, know. So, no. Um, so, uh, what else? So Nikki, um, you had some other, you had a couple of other stories. Do you want to pick one of those out to talk about or? Well, I, I, the, the first one I read it was just a bunch of statistics, but I feel like yeah. I've talked about that before. And the other one yeah. that really caught my eye subsequent to that was um, uh, Sharon Nelson um, um, from the, uh, what is it, the blog called um, Ride the Lightning, posted a link to, she just posted a short post with a link to a um, ZDNet blog uh, post about the 20 most dangerous crimes that artificial intelligence will create. And that really caught my eye because um, AI is so interesting to me in the intersection of AI and the law, both in terms of what it can do for lawyers in their practice, but also how it intersects with criminal, uh, you know, I was a criminal defense lawyer. So I'm, I'm always fascinated about those things. And it was, so I was just super interested in the different crimes that they talk about. And there were really four categories and AI enables crimes of high concern which include deep fakes, driverless vehicles as a weapon, tailored phishing, disrupting AI control system, large scale blackmail, and AI authored fake news. Then there's AI enabled crimes of moderate concern, misuse of military robots. I kind of feel like that should be high concern. I'm yeah, not I feel like that should be a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> not moderate, but uh, snake oil, data poisoning, learning based cyber attacks, autonomous att- attack drones. Again, I feel like that's. A high, a high concern, autonomous attack drones, <laughs> uh, denial of access to online activities, tricking face recognition and manipulating financial or stock markets. That also seems like a high concern one to me. And then last but not least, low concern, burglar bots, evading AI detection, AI authored fake reviews, AI assisted stalking, forgery of content such as art and music. But so it, it, it just was interesting to me, all these categories, some of which I'd certainly never thought about. And I feel like I think about this a decent amount, especially because of all the sci-fi I've watched. Um, but I just thought it was interesting. So many different areas of AI's got so much potential for good and so much potential for 
bad. <laughs> so that really caught my eye. I'm not sure with, how AI generated fake news is a crime, but that's a whole other issue, I guess. But with the GPT-3 stuff, that, that was the biggest thing, one of the biggest things that came out, you know, the, the, the potential for you to just sort of give it a few bullet points and just, and then it produced a whole bunch of complete nonsense and then to flood Facebook or to flood whatever platform it is, you know, with a whole bunch of fake news, which when you're talking about within the context of a political campaign or whatever it might be, um, yeah. So I think it could be, um, you know, I understand why that's a big concern because the volume, the sheer volume that it can create, you know, the human being, obviously we're limited. This is not. <laughs> I think yeah. I mentioned this before, but one of my, un, uh, what my son, one of my sons, uh, in the earlier version of GP3, whatever it's called, uh, took all of my above the law columns and fed them in and then tried to generate a column. And it came out complete nonsense, which I think means it was probably exactly right. So, <laughs> yeah, no, I was talking, especially in the political end, I was talking with somebody the other day, and I am shocked we have not had a major deep fake video scandal so far in this political cycle. Um, I think it still might be coming, it would not surprise me. But the possibilities, especially with what you see with your eyes or what you hear with your ears, stuff that has always been very straightforward in the past, AI could very easily kind of throw into doubt. Um, so criminal, I, I don't know necessarily what the laws are there, but definitely worrisome, I would say. Yeah. But then on the other hand, I feel like America is so polarized that like, you know, I mean, if you, if you hate Donald Trump and there's a video, of, a deep fake video of him like shooting somebody in the head, you know, I think most people would be like, oh yeah, that, you know, like, like people that hate Donald Rats. Trump would be like, oh yeah, I, I believe that. And then, and, then, and then there could be like a video of, of, if you hate Joe Biden, there could be a video of Joe Biden shooting somebody in the head and people would be like, oh yeah, see, I knew it, I knew it. So it's almost like, you know, a lot of, I almost feel like we've gotten to the point where it's like, you know, even if it is a deep, even if, even if the deep fakes are becoming more sophisticated and more, you know, difficult to uh, discern from, you know, from, from uh, real authentic videos, in terms of like the actual impact on on for for most for for a large portion of the electorate, it wouldn't really make a difference. Obviously, there are people in the middle who it might sway one way or the other, but and 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 you know and whatnot. But you know, I, I almost feel like given where the country is, there would there would be large portions of, of of people that would just automatically dismiss it anyway, like even if it was a very good fake. Yep. Um. Zach, did you, I don't think you had anything or did you have any story this week you want to talk about? Oh, mine was just talking about Ilta, which we did yeah. after that. All right, we did that. Um, the, the only thing I was going to talk about, I, I, speaking, of, speaking of AI, I, I kind of thought um, the uh, Thompson Reuters news this week uh, about its uh, quick check judicial version uh, was a little bit interesting. Uh, I mean, the, we've all been hearing about these, uh, you know, brief uh, analyzer, uh, products that have been out there ever since Case Text inter, inter, introduced Kara. Uh, just about everybody at this point has come come out with their version of that, where you upload a a document and it tells you you know what cases you're missing or or what cases might not be good law or whatever. And Westlaw has its own version of that, which came out last year. But they just introduced this Quick Check Judicial, which is basically designed for judges to say, okay, I've got these two briefs. And now I upload the two briefs uh, and I can look at, you know, this is going to tell me what cases they have in common, what cases are different, what cases neither of them have, which cases are bad law, good law. 
So it's, it's, it's an interesting, uh, you know, it, it'd be interesting if judges start using that. And of course, their whole pitch around this uh, is really that, uh, you know, if judges are using it, then don't you want to be using it too? <laughs> because you want to know before you uh, upload this to the, before you send this to the judge, uh, what they're going to find when they upload this into this, into the system. And, and, and Tops Orders does have, you know, a contract with at least the federal courts for all federal judges to have access to it. That doesn't mean they're using it, but, uh, but the judges certainly do have access to it. I'm sure some state court judges do too. So I'm not sure what to make of that, but I think it's kind of interesting. I think it's a really interesting iteration of that super innovative concept. The case text came up, you know, they really are coming up with case text has come up with some really creative, innovative ideas that others are leapfrogging from. And I think that, that way of taking that and providing it with a tool for judges is super innovative and interesting in and of itself. So it's, I, I kind of like to see all these different iterations of different concepts. And um, I always have admiration for the people that, uh, you know, or the companies that come up with those concepts initially that sort of light a spark in everybody else. And, um, you know, I think kudos to Case Techs because I feel like they've done that. And it's kind of hard to do that in the legal tech industry sometimes to do things different than how they've always been done. And, and I just like to see it sort of um, push out into the rest of the industry. And then other people come up with really interesting ways of doing the, sim the same thing in a different way. So it's kind of exciting to see that, especially in the legal research area, because that's been the same way for such a long time. So I'm not, I'm not um, overly familiar with the quick check story, but um, is, is, you know, we've talked a lot about bias um, and how decisions are, you know, I mean, would this be, Obviously, when you're talking about judges relying on it, I guess that question would have to arise. Is that something that's relevant here? I, don't, I'm, you know, we, I would have thought that you'd need to be very clear about how it was helping or is it, or is it not particularly relevant in this situation? I don't. Yeah. yeah, go ahead. You got it. <laughs> well, I was just going to say, I don't see, this is a situation where they're using natural language processing to compare documents and bias is usually, I mean, I think bias creeps into coding in a multitude of ways. But in this particular case with natural language processing in the legal context, just comparing two docs, it's hard for me to see how um, bias creeps in, but I may not be, uh, there may be something I'm missing on that. Yeah, I mean, they build this as an AI product, but it's, it's you know, it's, it's, it's minimal uh, AI. It's there's some natural language processing code, but they're really just, it's really just almost a, you know, a, a very glorified document comparison tool. I'm sure it's more sophisticated than that. And, and mm. uh, I mean, you talk about case text. I actually noticed, you know, Pablo Arredondo from case text who developed, you know, their, their Kara uh, praising this product as, as being cool on Twitter. So uh, there's certainly something there, but um, okay. there's an interesting comments about it. Kicks yeah. in because of the model and transiting data training. It's interesting. I think we understand more. I mean, I, go, I don't know the first thing about quick check, but I think we understand more, don't we, as we start to sort of interrogate this. And I think, I guess it's sort of you know, incumbent on all of us to sort of just ask the question. <laughs> but, but I, I take your point. It sounds like it's um, it'd be interesting to develop that theme more and understand more what you mean yeah. um, about that bias kicks in. Yeah. I, I would also just follow up on, on Nikki's point I, 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 about um, startups coming up with creative ideas that then get followed by others in the industry. I think that's such an important theme over just the last, you know, five, 10 years. Well, not 10 maybe, but at least the last five years of there, you know, it, it used to be, and I've, I've kind of written about this before, but it used to be, it was often, you know, 
Thomson Reuters or, or LexisNexis that would sort of come out with something new and then smaller companies would try and follow suit and come up with something similar. And now it's these smaller startups so you know, that are, that are this kind of scrappier companies that are coming up with these really clever ideas. And then the big companies are all following them and following suit. Um, and, 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 uh, that's, that's part of the reason this, this, this field, this industry is so interesting right now because there's just so much creativity uh, coming out of these smaller companies. Anything else anybody want to talk about? I don't know if Caroline and I are going to be here next week. Are we going to be here next week? <laughs> I think I think I my, my, my session on Friday might finish just in time actually but no and then yours is after so you so probably will have to i think i bump right up against this next week so. yeah but uh then we'll have a lot to talk about the following week yeah, <laughs> or, yeah. or 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 we this is friday is when all of us congregate there <laughs> we, you can get crash my one <laughs> that's right you can all come to our uh or we, <laughs> we can overlap a little bit yeah 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 all right. Well, thanks everybody. I hope everybody has a very good weekend and get some, uh, has some fun over the weekend and, uh, we will probably be back. We're scheduled to be back next week at three o'clock. Uh, and, uh, maybe we will, <laughs> we'll surprise you. <laughs> good. Uh, no, I think have a nice weekend, everyone.